in the beautiful West 7th neighborhood of St. Paul, Minnesota, you're listening to the Capital City Podcast. So uh, today, guys, we have a different day. And if you've been reading the emails, which I know everyone just is just waiting at their computer for the next Capital City email. Uh, but if you've been reading them, you know that today we're going through our membership documents, which... Um, I've given almost 100 sermons here at Capital City, and this is not one of them. So I'm a little bit out in no man's land trying to go through our, our bylaws and our constitution and what we are. But given the state of busyness of so many people in our congregation, we, we toyed with the idea of doing this on a Wednesday evening or a Friday, and it just, it just wasn't going to work. We weren't going to get enough people. So we decided to turn our whole church service into a time to talk about membership. So... Uh, I just want to say a few words. We'll, we'll, I'll be doing a few little 90-second or two-minute sermonettes within this, but we don't have a proper, normal sort of sermon today. Instead, we're celebrating who we are, what God has made us to be, and what we're going to be going forward. So uh, let me just share a few words on what church membership is. Um, it's, I think a lot of times in the American church, people treat a church as just another consumer product. So the sort of base experience of an American is as a consumer, right? I either choose to purchase something with money or I choose to attend something with my time, with my offering, whatever it might be. We sort of treat things like a consumer, but a church is not that. A church is something that you belong to and you are a part of, right? Uh, and so this whole, you might, if, if you're aware of like the mega church thing, um, a lot of people can name famous pastors, but they don't even know the name of the church that that pastor is at. And that's just a chronic symptom. It's a, it's a sign of how broken the system is. If you can name a pastor but not name that pastor's church, it shows that something is wrong, that the church is rather a body of believers. It's something that we all make up together through the priesthood of believers. And if you want to hear more of the theological foundation of, of how that works, how the priesthood of believers works, and how it applies to church membership, you can listen to last week's message, which is on the podcast. Thanks again, Nat, for putting that up so fast. Um, so church membership is about that this is not Capital City, this is not, sorry, Capital City is not my church, or it's not the ministry leadership team's church. It is your church, right? And the idea is that if something happens to me, if something happens to the other leaders, whether if we're disqualified from ministry or we get hit by a bus or whatever, the idea is this is not my church, right? This is Capital City as a whole. This is the, the member's church. It's not just something you attend, it's something you are, right? Something that you carry, it's something that you uh, oversee, and you make the decisions, and you invest in it, and you decide who belongs, who's in the church, and who is out. Um, And you decide who ultimately leads it, and how its finances are spent, and its direction in ministry. So that's what church membership is about. Again, our default mode is that we're consumers. So we, we treat a church as just this thing, right? And people can opt in or opt out. But actually, it's the church, ultimately, who decides who is a member. The church itself decides who belongs and who not. And we'll get through uh, some of this in a bit here. So I'm going to pray uh, for our time here, um, and then pray for your help as I describe some of these things. Um, so let's just bow our heads and, and pray as we go over this. Lord, we thank you for two and a half great years of ministry that even 12 months into our life as a church when this global pandemic hit, that you have helped us uh, weather this storm. Uh, and even though all churches have been affected, um, we thank you that we are still just chugging along and thriving and that here we are now, two and a half years after starting, ready to establish membership so that it's not just 
a few leaders uh, formally deciding the direction of the church, but that it is your body, that it is your church members, the priesthood of all believers is being reflected now as we move into this process of church membership. I pray you'd give me the grace to describe these documents that you help people to, to understand and to, to form the right questions, that you'd lead us forward in a way that would be most glorifying to you. I, I lift this up in this time, in Jesus' name, amen. Had my eyes closed, I almost ran into my podium, so, all right. Uh, <laughs> uh, remember the pizza party afterwards, so this is not going to be the most entertaining, you know, most interesting sermon uh, as we go through some of this. And I will lastly say, I might have mentioned this in the announcements, um, the, the documents we'll be looking at today are not a completely final, final draft, because we knew there are some really good detail-oriented people here who will find problems, and they'll say, hey, you know, we ought to get this right. And if we all were to sign into membership today, then we'd have to go through this whole laborious, tedious process of amending the Constitution through formal votes. And we thought, you know, in the beginning, we're going to find a few errors. So today, this is, call this a 95 or a 98% draft, but there are things that need to change, there are errors there. So I know most people will just kind of give a read-through, but if you're a detail-oriented person, if you're the kind of person who can look at each page, each line in this thing, and then imagine out five years, whether we grow or not, whether we change locations or not, you know, if we have different leaders or not, if you can look at this document and say, this is going to be a problem in five years. We ought to consider this language. I'd love to hear from you. Well, actually, I won't be excited to get the email, but I do want to hear from you on some of those things that need to be ironed out in the final draft. So what this will look like is we'll go through this document. It's basically in final form, but we'll make some changes. And then what we'll do is in about two or three weeks, we'll send out the final form of the document. You can sign if you'd like to become a church member. You're also welcome to just keep attending regularly. We'd love to have you as a regular attender if you're like, I don't want to be a member. That's just fine. Uh, But if you'd like to be a member, then you can sign. And then we'll have some sort of uh, celebration. Um, Probably at this point, given the holidays, it'll probably be in the early new year. And we'll invite some people from First Free or Sending Church. We'll invite some people from the Evangelical, um, the DFCA, um, our, our Association of Churches. And then we can do an official sort of recognition of us being a, a proper, our own proper church with our own membership. So with that, um, let's look to the document. I'll, I'll tell you where it is. It's, uh, in case you didn't notice, at the bottom of our lyrics today, there's a link uh, so you, you sang our, we sang our two songs, and at the bottom, there's a link. It says Sermon, Jordan Munson, and then there's a link to a PDF, and that's where that is. Sorry, I didn't say that before. So everyone able to open that on your phones? Okay, getting some nods and heads up. So we're going to be selectively going through some of this because we certainly don't have time to go through 18 pages. Um, this first page, it just says it, it, it's letting us know. Eventually, we could cut this from the Constitution, but it's letting us know what a Constitution needs to have to be a legal and binding document. So feel free to look through that on your own time, but we'll just look through um, some specific things here. So I want to point your attention to Article 3 at the bottom of page 2. It says, this church will be congregationally governed and elder MLT staff led. Now what this means is the ultimate authority in this church because we believe in the priesthood of all believers, the ultimate authority is in the congregation, the members, the people who decide to belong to this church and uh, keep this church uh, in, their, in their responsibility. So the congregation will essentially have the final say, 
but it's not very efficient for a congregation to just throw a vote at everything, right? It makes sense, this is how our, some of our own systems work as well, is to have representatives that make a lot of our decisions, right, rather than trying to throw a vote at everything. So the congregation is the ultimate authority, but what they will do is vote in an MLT, which is Ministry Leadership Team, and they will vote in, you guys will vote in an elder board who will have different responsibilities. And then there will also be staff who make decisions uh, on behalf of the church. The thing is, though, is that the congregation has the authority to elect or to remove, in, in one way or another, all of those entities, all those people. So the congregation ultimately has the authority, but it elects representatives so that we can actually make decisions in a timely manner without trying to get everyone together to vote every week. So that's a, a little bit about where the authority lies. Uh, we belong to the Evangelical Free Church of America. If you see the affiliation right below that. So I just wanted to make that clear. Last week, this next page here, page three, we went through the statement of faith. And I strongly encourage you to listen to that podcast or to find it on Facebook from last week. So as we go through this membership, there is no perfect or ideal form of church government or how church decisions get made. But if you're happy with 80 or 90% of the things we're going through today, you feel great signing. You can be church members, even if not every little last thing is exactly how you do it. But I will say, in this statement of faith, I encourage you to listen to this, because if there's something in here that you don't agree with, then we'd love to keep having you as regular attenders, but you, you might not want to become a member if you have a problem with the statement of faith. So that's more of a 100% agreement bar, like we set the bar at 100% agreement on our statement of faith. Whereas on how church government works, you just want to be in line with it. There might be a few things that you wish were different, but that's okay. We've got 18 pages of stuff. I don't think everyone's going to be completely in agreement on every little thing. So uh, listen to that podcast from last week if you haven't heard it, and make sure that you agree with the statement of faith before you decide to become a member. Um, all right, so I want to move down here. Um, article 5 on uh, page 4. So when I say page 4, I mean... The, the page that's labeled page four, not whatever your own computer or phone is telling you is page four, but what's labeled page four here toward the bottom, it says, uh, Article five, membership. It says, The membership of the church shall be composed of those individuals who, through saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, have been born again, who manifest the fruit of a true Christian life, who subscribe to the statement of faith, and who are willing to support the church by their prayers, contributions, and attendance. And so we'll... We'll touch on this a few different times, but what this is getting at ultimately is that the attender does not decide whether or not they are a member. The church decides. And this is anathema to American culture, right? Every gym you ever go to, every restaurant you ever go to, every club you ever attend, basically the rule is you decide as the consumer if you are going to be a part of that or not. The church does not function like that. The church is not something you opt in or opt out of as a consumer activity. It is the church, i.e. you guys, who decides who belongs and who does not. And the reason is this. If someone is attending the church regularly while also just openly living a, a, a sinful life, and you can fill in the blank as to what that might be, if someone you know, is deciding to unrepentantly go about having an affair and just not move away from that or seek reconciliation, those are people that you cannot have as a member of your church, right? And that's why ultimately the church, for the protection and the glory of God, the protection of the flock, but also the glory of God, the church decides who's in, right? So people can work at a company and be engaged in that kind of sin, 
and the company normally won't ever get involved. But if you are involved in a church and you are involved and you are engaged in unrepentant sin, it's the church who decides whether or not you're in or out or a member or not. And the church can say, it is not okay for you to continue in this way because it is a shame to the gospel. It's a shame to the cross of Christ that you're, say, openly living in this you know, affair or you're stealing from so-and-so or whatever it might be um, or the way you treat your kids or, or so on. Um, so the church will say, we have a high standard, right? So we'll, we'll get to this a few times, that it's very hard for the American mind to unmake the idea that they decide what they belong to. Rather, it's the church that decides who belongs. Um, as a legal thing, I wanted to point, you, point out this property line on the bottom of page four. So every constitution or bylaw, or a set of bylaws, has to make it clear who owns a building or who owns any assets, and then if that nonprofit ever dissolves, what happens in that event? And so this is all spelled out here, that if we were to ever buy a building or somehow come into possession of some space or land or anything, that we have this clear way of deciding what happens with it. So the idea is that some, some churches get themselves into trouble because they'll make a very strong statement that the denomination essentially just gets the building in any, if anything changes with the church, the denomination gets it. And then what can happen, maybe not during our lifetimes, maybe 50 or 100 years from now, what, what happens a lot of times with churches is that a church wants to move in a separate direction in ministry or the denomination abandons their former, uh, their former views or their former theology, their former calling in the gospel. And so you have a church and a denomination that starts to part ways. But if you give the denomination too much a power over your accounts and things, then they can just sort of, they can end your church, and they can sell your building, and they can take everything you have and just make off with it. So we have uh, made sure that this document allows us, if we ever come into any sort of property ownership, that this gives us the say. That say in a decade or five decades or whatever, that if Capital City thrives and grows and has its own space, but then in a hundred years is shrinking and it's finding its way into you know, old age or something, who knows? that Capital City Church gets to decide what to do with any future assets, whether giving those to another nonprofit, selling it and giving that money to various ministries, or you know, as a last resort, giving that money to the denomination. So that's just some formal and, and legal stuff there. Let's see here. Here's this amendment clause, Article 8. Just, it's very hard to pass an amendment, so that's why we want to get everything right this first time. So again, detail-oriented people, Find the problems in this, and let's get it right before we, we sign it. Okay, um, take a look, not now, but at, at page six here, the bylaw guidelines for a local evangelical free church. Those are important because they say legally what, what a, by, a, a system of bylaws ought to accomplish, and we want to make sure that the bylaws we've written do, in, in fact, fully line up with this. But I'll move down. We don't have time to, to go through that. Uh, I want to show... Let's see, at the top of page seven, in membership, it talks about uh, membership is granted to anyone who has given testimony to his or her faith in Jesus Christ and who desires to actively support the ministry of Capital City Church. This act of support includes affirming the EFCA statement of faith, the mission, vision, and values of Capital City Church, and actively praying for, contributing to, and participating in Capital City Church. Uh, so I just want to uh, be clear here that membership is for believers, for people who, who have professed in Christ, 
Now, normally, let's say three years from now or four years from now, somebody starts attending, right? Every few months, someone new starts attending, they wanna become members. The way that we'll establish membership, and you'll read that here, is that we'll get to know them a bit, eventually we'll do a membership course or we'll explain a few things culturally about Capital City, and then we'll give them a membership application. They'll interview with two elders, or I forget exactly how it's written here, they'll interview with leaders in the church who will ask them their testimony. And essentially, it's, it's done in love, but it's also to make sure, hey, do we have a true believer here, right? And if not, let's, let's help them to understand the gospel. Um, eventually, that'll be our main way of establishing membership. But for this first round, we're going to be establishing membership in mass, right? That we have, a, a lot of people here are either, have been with us since the beginning before we ever were a, a, a meeting church every Sunday when we were a launch team, or people have been with us for a year or a year and a half. And so we all know each other quite well. A lot of us know each other by name. We know our stories. And so I don't foresee us doing uh, an in-depth interview process for this first round. We'll, we'll get a lot of the original team established in membership, but then eventually this method will, will click in where we're just establishing a few members at a time, and that's where these um, interview things will come up. You'll see more on the, on the sheet at the very bottom of this document. Uh, and then just uh, yeah, at the, toward the bottom of page 7, 1.2, extended absence, 1.3, just saying how, you know, if someone moves away or starts attending another church and isn't, just, isn't communicating and they just haven't been around for three or four or six months, that there's a way to then remove them from membership. People can resign their membership. It's not like you're stuck, you know, once you become a member. All right, so this is a, a touchier one, page 8. This is sort of an... We're allergic to talk about this, but uh, page eight says, discipline and restoration of members. So let me read this paragraph, 1.4. If any member shall conduct themselves in a manner which, in the studied opinion of the pastor and the board of elders, is not in harmony with scriptural principles and for which he or she does not show evidence of repentance, they shall be interviewed and counseled by the pastor and then the board of elders after the manner clearly indicated in the word of God, Matthew 18 and Galatians 6. Restoration of the erring member shall be the single purpose and love, the sole motivating force in these interviews. If the member should choose to continue in their unrepentant condition, they shall be deprived of their membership upon the decision of the board of elders who will report this action to the congregation. Any member who had resigned or whose membership has been deprived shall be excluded from all rights of the church. And so any sort of talk of discipline or restoration, people get a little bit allergic to this because naturally this can be abused. And there, I don't think there's been a single instance yet in our two and a half years as a church where any, that, we're, that we've engaged in any kind of church discipline. There have been some hard conversations, um, but there's not been any instance of church discipline. But again, this idea is that the church is not I mean, well, in a way, it's ours because we're the members, right? But ultimately, the church is God's, right? The church is the bride of Christ, and we exist to bring glory to God. And so if a church member is openly living in some kind of sin, then it is our job as a church to say, this is not proper behavior for the bride of Christ. And so in a loving way, you come alongside someone and you say, Things need to change, right? So let's, let's work through a repentance or a reconciliation. So like it, before, this is a classic example. It happens, it's one of the main ways that discipline comes up in a church is with an affair, right? So I was talking about it before, that if a church member is having an ongoing affair with someone, 
that is not appropriate for the church or for the body of Christ, right? This is an activity that cannot continue. And so you, uh, the pastor and some other leaders uh, would come around this person and essentially just have a talk, right? We'd look at the scripture, we'd talk about the situation, and we'd encourage that person toward obviously stopping that sin and then reconciling with their partner, with their spouse. And Lord willing, that would be the outcome, right? That people repent, that there's this grieving, uh, and that through a lot of counseling and therapy and abstaining from that, that, that people could come back into a, a holiness and repair their marriage, and they could remain church members. And that would be the overall outcome. But what is not glorifying to the body of Christ is just to have that, that activity continue unrepentant, right? And so all of a sudden this affair just keeps happening and no one's doing anything and no one's saying anything about it. That is not honorable to God's church. And so that's why things like this exist. I will say uh, that it is very hard for a church to practice church discipline without um, sort of slipping into abuse. So this is something I'm very careful of, very wary. Uh, I, I, I I'm not the kind of gavel hitter or foot stomper, but know that this is in there to respect the body of Christ and the church, and that sometimes this does need to be exercised in areas of uh, blatant sin. But just know that my heart and the other leader's heart is this is not some sort of hammer we're hoping to wield to get people to do our, you know, go our way or vote our thing. But this is there to protect the church. All right, uh, church leadership. I want to see which way I go about explaining this. Hmm. I'm trying to figure out if I want to talk about ministry leadership team first or the elder board first. So let me, let me just say this. I'm going to talk a little bit about both of them at the same time. So I've been a part of a number of churches that, I don't know if you guys are, are, are aware of this, but in the early church, um, Women were very involved in evangelizing, in leading. They had a lot of uh, importance in the early church. And over time, uh, given the way um, God has called the church to certain precepts, and something that's maybe a mystery to some today, or that's uncomfortable for some today, is that uh, God, in his mysterious ways, has, it seems in the New Testament, has made certain roles in the church for men only. Not many roles, but uh, it seems, based on a reading of certain scripture, and we can maybe do a sermon on this sometime, um, that certain roles are reserved for men, whether elders or pastors. Now, there are not many specific kinds of leadership or kinds of responsibilities that are only to men, but there, there are these things that are given only to men in the New Testament. And for most of church history, because of uh, the patriarchal realities and because of misogyny and men were the only ones getting educated, it just made sense to the church for a long time because the men were... In, in a lot of cases, the only ones capable of the leadership because the women weren't being given a lot of the basic skills needed to, to lead, right? Whereas now, society is seeing this great reversal where women are outperforming men in most regards, right? More women go to college, more women graduate college. Uh, women tend to do better on tests. They tend to do you know, better on job performance. They tend to do better emotionally. They tend to live longer. I mean, just you name it, uh, women are killing it in this society. And it's caused a lot of people then to go back and say, well, you know, why, why has the church been doing it this way? Okay, so we have a few verses here. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of cultural stuff there. Uh, so I just want to let you know that where the EFCA stands on this and where Capital City stands on this uh, is we do recognize, even though it might be uncomfortable, right in the middle of St. Paul on a Sunday morning in 2021, 
we do recognize that it seems that the Bible and that God's will is to somehow make some distinctions. I'm not exactly telling you which, but it seems like he makes some distinctions, right? That, the, that leadership and the roles in the church are not just exactly the same, but that there are some distinctions. And then, then we have to do our work at jumping in and figuring out, well, what exactly are those and how do we apply those and what? So I want to start with that, but then I want to say the, the errors and the problems that I've seen because of some of these verses in the Bible what I've seen often is eldership is reserved for men, and then what ends up happening is you get 12 guys in a room who are all 50-plus, and they decide essentially everything for the church. Okay, 12 guys, they're normally successful in business. They all make over you know, six figures, very responsible, very sort of like business types. Um, and you know, only men can be elders, and you want to find these respectable men, and it happens to be these kind of guys. Uh, because we live in the society we do, those kind of men are often chosen, these sort of corporate go-getter types. Uh, and soon enough, you have these 12 men who are 50-plus, and they're deciding everything. Children's ministry, women's ministry. I mean, they're deciding everything. And I've sat in on some of these meetings and thought, this just seems strange, and it seems, you know, it seems wrong. I've seen a lot of infighting. A lot of, I've seen a lot of uh, uh, sort of like, you know, like when two bucks charge each other and like get their horns all locked up. I've seen a lot of that kind of behavior. Uh, and I remember just thinking, man, this is, this is broken. And this is not what I see in the New Testament, because there is a lot of female leadership. There is a lot of authority given to women. Um, and also, I think we just all know um, group events and harmony and community often is forged more by women than by men. Let's be honest, right? Think of all the communities you've ever belonged to. A lot of those are really upheld and, and strengthened. Uh, primarily, I'd say, by women as opposed to men. So a strong value of Capital City Church is we wanted to wrestle with this historical tension and say, you know, we do recognize, even if it makes us uncomfortable, we do recognize that there is a historical and biblical distinction and that God intends, uh, and, you know, we can ask him why, but he intends for men to have certain roles in the church and for women to have certain roles in the church. But we realize that when men end up sort of just soaking up every responsibility, that things get kind of broken and kind of ugly fast. Um, and so we wanted to preserve and, and, and encourage women at the table at every decision, right, along the entire uh, road. So even if ultimately the authority rests in a few elders who are men, we want women at the table making those decisions alongside them. So let me read this. Uh, well, some of this will be repeat, but let me read this part under the ministry leadership team. Section 2.1b. Since our foundation, we've had a ministry leadership team of men and women which takes care of most matters within the church, from following up new visitors, making sure people are finding a home in Capital City, caring for church members, planning events, delegating responsibilities, and drafting this very document. Having men's and women's voices at the table has been invaluable to our church culture. Too often, the role of elders, and I talked to some about this, is expanded beyond its biblical bounds to become the board that runs everything. In this case, many leaders within the church are left without a voice. The leadership can be myopic or insular and cause dissension where there never needed to be. Therefore, though we follow the biblical and historical precedent for male elders and their scripturally given roles, we do not go beyond these by having the elders also function as the sole decision makers across all realms of church life. Because of this, one of Capital City's distinctives is to hold the primary weekly or biweekly leadership meeting at which most church decisions and direction take place at the level of the ministry leadership team the elders will meet less frequently. And then I go on to say that the, uh, the MLT is composed of the elders or a subset of them, and then those selected 
to serve as MLT members, and that this ministry leadership team may also invite various ministry leaders to sit in uh, occasionally or long-term as it sees fit. So what I mean to say here is that there are a very, very small band of specific church roles that seem, though there's debate, but it's, they seem to be given to men. But the amount of time that I have spent exercising those kinds of roles is extremely small, right? I mean, almost, so we're talking about the kinds of things that are reserved for elders are, um, I will have it at the bottom here. Let me just scoot down a bit. I'll tell you what page it's on in just a second. So the things that are reserved for church elders, and this can be helpful to think of a church elder, there's no distinction in the New Testament between an elder and a pastor. So when you think church elder, uh, just think pastor. So uh, page 15, if you want to just scoot down there and then we'll go back, it says, what's the difference between elders and ministry leadership team members? So it says, the Bible's teaching is that an elder has several specific roles in the church. It might help to know that a, the Bible makes no, no distinction between an elder and a pastor. Biblically, establishing elders is like commissioning lay pastors. So the role of elders in the New Testament is to lead the church's spiritual direction and formation. So at the conceptual level, you know, like say you were going to open up Capital Kids Ministry and kind of choose some avenues for it. The people running the ministry, men and women, would be choosing those things and then be checking that against maybe an elder who's, who's um, leading out in the church's spiritual direction and formation. Uh, it says that they are willing and able to teach and preach. So again, think of an elder as basically a pastor, who, whether they're on staff or not. So an elder has to be willing to preach. Um, their role is to protect the church from false teachers. So if someone comes in and is saying, hey, you know, actually, to be a Christian, you have to do this or this or this, and there's some culty stuff, or just think of, like, weird alt-right views or whatever. Uh, I think our pizza guy is here. Aubrey, do you want to see him right on here? Thank you. Um, we gave him a different number, but I think he's calling me right now. Um, yeah. Uh, to protect the church from false teachers, to exhort and admonish the saints in sound doctrine, uh, and to judge doctrinal issues. And I, I, let me just say, the amount of time that I spend or that any leader spends doing this is very little. Whereas, let's go back to where we were, see if I can find what page that was quick, uh, the MLT section, page eight. Ministry leadership team does everything else. We have men and women at the table. So I'd say about 96, I don't know if the Bardas and Logies can back me up on this, 95 to 98% of our time is spent making sure that people are loved, that they're welcome, that we're following up with them, we're planning events, we're deciding various things for like how we should host a ministry or how we should plan an event, you know, who's going to order the pizza for this morning, right? Uh, what, kind of, what the small group should look like. I mean, almost everything we do is at a level that I think biblically everyone's involved, right? There's just those few things, like if you have a pastor, if you have a staff person, if you have a member who is erring in some way, and there's some sort of sin that might disqualify them, that's like one of the few things where you, you send an elder. And it seems like you know, elders have this, this distinction for um, male eldership. Um, uh, certain, you know, certain other roles here that we've gone through. But almost everything we do is across the aisle. Men and women are present for all of it. And so again, we just, I've seen that so many of these leadership meetings can just become men only, and then very myopically deciding the the role of the church. So I just wanted to be uh, just clear and frank with you guys that the ministry leadership team is the main leadership body of this church. We will have a few elders, and they will meet occasionally, especially as just maybe long-term direction or some sort of discipline issues come up. 
Um, they might, might you know, check in or keep me accountable or something like that. But almost every decision we make here will happen at the MLT level, which, and, and, and at that level, there's no distinction. So I wanted to go through this. You can read that more closely later if you'd like, uh, but I'll move on for now. You can ask questions later if you'd like. Um, terms of office. Basically, uh, the idea is if you have a great leader, sometimes churches will have these clauses where you can only serve two terms and then you're stuck, like you have to be out for another term. Um, and maybe there's wisdom in that, but I wanted that to be an option, but not a necessity. So basically, what we've established is that an elder or a ministry leadership team member can serve, their, their, their term is for three years, but that they can keep serving. If they say, you know what, God has made me a leader and I realize that, he's made me good at decision making or whatever, or, or crafting, in leading the church, and I see no reason to leave this board. As long as they're reaffirmed every three years, they can just keep going. They can do as many terms as they want, but they don't have to. Uh, but I wanted to keep that open. We're not a church of 400 with all these different people to pull from. And so when you have a good leader, you'd hate for your bylaws to force you not to use them as a leader for a few years. So um, elders and MLT members can just keep going if they want. Uh, let's see here, 2.4, that's just... I don't know if we'll officially name church treasurer and financial secretary. Basically, the idea is that the ministry leadership team appoints people to deal with the finances. We already have that, right? With, with Ben, with uh, Joshua, and with Jacob are running a lot of those numbers and, and finances, as well as Anna as well. Um, and so we, whether we name those terms or not, we, we were already taking care of this. All right, I'll try to move through some of this, the rest of this faster. Uh, this pastor section, 3.1. The idea is if anything ever happened to me or in five or 10 or 15 years, if for whatever reason I was called to some other ministry or something, don't worry, I don't see that happen anytime soon. But if, if that were to ever happen, know that this is how a church calls a pastor. Basically, uh, you, you set up a, a committee uh, and you as a church are able to select your senior pastor. And then after that, once you have that senior pastor decided or chosen, it's that senior pastor and the other church leaders that are already elected by the congregation that decide the rest of the staff. Uh, so this would never happen. But let's just say, hypothetically, you needed to hire a new senior pastor. Let's say Matt and I somehow both got you know, killed in the same bus accident or some random thing. What you do is you go set up a committee and you hire a senior pastor. And then once that senior pastor comes in, then they decide what they want to do about worship leaders or children's ministry, things like that, and they go from there. So you, you hire your senior pastor, and then the senior pastor with the other leaders works to fill out the rest of the staff. Now, this is really important. Page 11, on terminating staff, how do I put this in here, i.e., how do you fire a pastor? Because there are major problems across non-denominational and sort of um, more informal Protestant churches where they essentially have no real way to fire their pastor. The pastor has all the keys to the bank account. The pastor is a signer on it. They run their own salary and payroll. Um, and then the way that the leadership is structured, really no one has the wherewithal or the authority to boot them. And I started Capital City Church on purpose, making, making it very easy to get rid of me should I ever, be, should I ever disqualify myself for ministry. I care so highly about the integrity of the church, the integrity of the pulpit, that I made it very easy to get rid of me, and this is how it ought to be. Uh, if anything should ever happen to me or any other pastor, any other elder, this is all the same. So whether it be me or Matt, any elder that ever serves here, uh, Tyler, you know, you're on the staff page. If anyone ever does anything to disqualify themselves for ministry, you let one of the elders know, and that very minute, the elders can get in touch with the other ones, and they can fire that person on the spot. 
Okay, that's, that's like, I want you all to know. That's how you get rid of a pastor or an elder here. All that power. That's one of the, those few things that almost never needs to be exercised. That power is in the hands of the elders. I'm not a signer on the bank account. I can't go to U.S. Bank and do anything with our finances. I need our leaders and elders to do that work. And so that's healthy for any church. If you ever go on and move to another city or move to another church someday, you need to know for sure that your pastor can be fired. You have to know how. And you have to know that they can't just cripple the church by having all the, sort of, all the power and all the authority to take out money or whatever else. So that's how you fire a pastor. Let an elder know, and they can vote him out that very day. Uh, the rest, we can, I can have you guys read through some of this. It, it's about how annual business meetings and things like that go. Uh, I might make a specific request to some of you detail-oriented people. I even left a note in here. In terms of when our fiscal year ends, when our annual business meeting starts or ends, uh, when we send out forms for nominating MLT and elders, when we actually vote on that, those are some of the few things that are not really specific yet in this form. So if you guys could help, I'm looking at you, Anna, Ben, some of our other details. If you guys want to read this section and say, I think we ought to do it at this month or that month, we ought to do it like this, uh, I would be very grateful to you. There are things I'm good at and things I'm not. And some of those very detailed planning calendar things, that's, that's not my strength. So uh, I can let you guys read some of that. We're almost done here. Policy on Biblical Marriage, page 12. Let me just read this. It says, we believe that marriage is the exclusive covenantal union of one man and one woman, which union was designed by God. Genesis 2.24 states, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Jesus Christ offered this in Matthew 19, 4 through 6. And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason the man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. We will faithfully follow this scriptural definition of marriage in the teachings and practices of this church. And therefore, for example, only this church... Uh, will not officiate, solemnize, uh, perform, or host a marriage or marriage-like ceremony involving anything other than the union of one man with one woman as instituted by God. So that's just something that it's good to have in our documents so that um, in the next year or 10 years from now, if this becomes uh, a a, a heated question within the church, we have this here to lean on. Uh, So you can read a little bit more on that on legitimate sexual relations below that. Okay, um, the next page, 13, maybe, again, detail-oriented people, I'd appreciate if you'd look closely at this for how nominating works. Um, Qualifications for elders. And then that appendix on page 15, the difference between ministry leadership team members and elders. You can look through that again. And then I also just have a few notes here on, you know, what it looks like to hire a senior pastor and what some of those things might be. Sometimes... If a church ever loses a senior pastor, man, sometimes they take 12 or 18 months of search committees to find another one. I think, man, don't waste your time. Like, don't, don't spend 18 months in just, like, trying to tread water. You know, move faster. Uh, get someone in here faster than that. And that's what some of these notes say. Uh, so then uh, we're almost done here. Page 16 is what the membership application looks like now. Feel free to weigh in on uh, any changes there. This is something that our sending church uses, so I haven't looked actually too closely at this page. There might be some things that need to be changed or updated for our situation. Uh, but when um, we'll do a final draft of this, as I get some of those edits from some of you wonderful, detail-oriented people, uh, we'll do a final draft, and then that's when you guys will sign these membership applications.
And again, if you've been with us since the beginning or for a long time, we, we probably won't need to interview you. Um, but if you've only been with us for a couple months, maybe I'd love to hear your story about how you came to know Jesus. So let's see here. Guys, I think we did it. I think we did it. That's it. Yeah, round of applause. We made it through these documents. Yeah? Awesome. So uh, for those of you from the way who are just stepping in and hearing this, we're establishing church membership as a church, which is really exciting, also a bit boring to go through all the documents. But if people are going to sign to become members, they have to know what they're signing. So we spent the time as a church to go through it. Uh, That said, guys, we're done. I'm going to pray to close us, welcome the way in to start setting up and getting ready, uh, and then we can go downstairs to have fellowship, eat pizza, and just hang out and enjoy the time. So I'll pray to close us. Father, thank you so much uh, for giving us these two and a half great years of ministry, plus the year of being a launch team before that. Uh, I just thank you for these saints who are here, who are ready to become members, and who um, just to glorify your name in St. Paul, and to continue ministry here in the city, in West 7th, and among our partners. And I pray that you would just bless our church, that you'd help us to grow, that as... uh, as, as people sort of come out of this 18-month uh, of, of, of pandemic and all the rest, that uh, people would invite their friends and family and that we'd see just your beacon of light here in this building and among our, uh, our partner churches as well. So we thank you uh, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a project of the Capital City Church in the West 7th community of St. Paul, Minnesota. Find us on Instagram at Capital City Church STP or visit our website for more information at capitalcitystpaul.com. Paul.com.